Welcome to Be The Gift Connections. I'm Billy Jarvis. February is Black History Month, and we're pleased to have as our guest a true pioneer in the world of transplantation. And I'm Don Benjamin. Dr. Clive Callender is a renowned transplant surgeon and professor at Howard University. His efforts to create awareness and educate about donation and transplant in our minority communities began in the 1970s. Dr. Callender, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start at the beginning of your career. What led you to the specialty of transplant surgery? Well, actually, that's a longer story than you might imagine because uh, I really never knew anything about transplantation. I was seven years old uh, when I heard a minister talk about the greatest things you could do in life was to address this bodies of mankind and also the souls of mankind. And uh, uh, the idea of becoming a medical missionary uh, came into my mind. And from the time I was seven years old, that was what I wanted to be. Uh, my life started off very interestingly because my mother died when I was born. My twin brother and I then uh, were brought up in a foster home for two years after which my father remarried and we had a stepmother, but that only lasted for another uh, couple of years because she became ill. And uh, therefore we went to live with my aunt who was a very religious lady. And so we spent most of our days and uh, parts of the night in church. And so, uh, so when I was age of seven, I heard this uh, minister talk about this uh, uh, valuable way of co committing one's life. So I did that at the age of seven. So I, I wanted to be a medical missionary. And that guided me from that point until later on. Actually, at the age of uh, 15, I contracted a tuberculosis. And uh, as a consequence, uh, I was in the hospital for 18 months and uh, had uh, half of my right lung removed. Uh, and uh, so uh, that uh, actually uh, increased my interest in becoming a medical missionary because uh, while in the hospital, I read the Merck Manual, which is the doctor's Bible from cover to cover in the, in the uh, American College Dictionary from cover to cover. So, so, so this kind of set the stage. And uh, so after I got out of the hospital, uh, I uh, went back to finish high school. Finished high school uh, and uh, uh, went to Hunter College. Hunter College, uh, I wasn't very much of a good student in, at Hunter College. Uh, I finished with a 2.5 out of four average. And so very few people thought I would ever even get into medical school. But lo and behold, uh, I was accepted into Meharry Medical College, actually in 1963. And so that uh, facilitated my moving forward to become a medical mission. At least that's what I was planning to do. So I, I did my, my internship, and then I did my surgical residency. And uh, when I finished that, uh, and in the process, 
I encountered during my externship in Dayton, Ohio, uh, a patient who had a upper GI bleeder and was, uh, they thought, dying. And uh, they brought in the surgeons. The surgeons operated on that patient. That patient recovered and went home in three to four days. And that that was uh, uh, something that changed my life because I decided that from that point on, I wanted to be a, a surgeon. I still want to be a medical missionary, but I wanted to be a surgeon missionary. And so uh, when I finished my surgical residency, I encountered one of the uh, medical students who was from Port Harcourt, Nigeria. And they needed surgeons Port Harcourt, Nigeria, because they just finished the Civil War and the hospital had been destroyed. And so this is my opportunity. And so my wife and I, we went to Port Harcourt, Nigeria, uh, to fulfill my life's dream, become a medical missionary that I always wanted to be. Uh, and so I, I went to uh, Port Harcourt, Nigeria. We spent nine months. But at the end of that period, it was a wonderful experience. Did all kinds of surgeries, miraculous surgical interventions. Uh, but when I came back, I had lost uh, 50 pounds. And uh, uh, so they did all kinds of tests on me to find out why I lost 50 pounds in nine months. And uh, I thought about that and, and wondered, what should I do? And so I decided I'd go back to Africa for another three months and see what happened then. And lo and behold, uh, I uh, lost 25 pounds in three months and contracted malaria and made a decision at that point that maybe medical missionary was not what I was meant to do and that uh, I, maybe there's another field. And so when I went back to uh, Howard uh, after finishing my work, there was a NIH uh, recruiters who uh, uh, identified that there was an opportunity to do transplantation. Now, I'd worked with Bill Matori, a uh, uh, legendary surgeon at Howard University who introduced me to uh, animal transplants and uh, uh, I was intrigued. And I thought this was much more mystifying and exciting than general surgery. And so I took the opportunity to, to apply for a fellowship to get an NIH fellowship to go to the University of Minnesota. So after I, I got back from uh, Nigeria the second time, I decided that, that, that that's what I would do. I'd do transplant surgery. So that's the answer to your question. Long-winded. <laughs> but still an answer to your question is that, I went into transplant surgery. It wasn't anything I had dreamed of before, but it was something that uh, after my medical missionary period I had completed, I, I thought that maybe I'd do better with people who look like me over here. And so I uh, then went to the University of Minnesota to start a transplant program to come back to Howard University and start a transplant program at Howard University. Well, in the 70s, transplant was really in its infancy, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, it was brand new at that Ooh. time. And the first one was done is in 1965. And so uh, when I, and as a matter of fact, when I came back to start the program at uh, Howard University, that's when the Medicare legislation was yeah. passed. Uh, and so I, I came in at just the right time uh, because uh, uh, then the new rule that allowed for uh, Medicare to be expanded to those people who had kidney failure. And so so things pretty much worked out perfectly for me. 
do you happen to know how many African-American transplant surgeons there were at the time that you started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, Samuel Kuntz was the first African-American transplant surgeon. Uh, and uh, the second one actually uh, was in the military. And after he left the military, he never did any more transplants. But those, those were my two predecessors, okay. uh, the Sam, Sam Kuntz and uh, uh, the other gentleman. I forgot his name for the moment. It'll come to me. But uh, those were the only two. And then what happened is that Sam Kuntz uh, died prematurely at the age of 50. Uh, and that left me as the sole African-American transplant surgeon for many years. Oh, wow. So, Dr. Callender, what year did you go back to Howard to start the program and, and the dialysis program, too? Tell us how that kind well, of came about. Well, that's interesting because what happened is Bill Matori, the same Bill Matori, actually had worked with uh, dialysis, vascular access and dialysis. And he and uh, Martin Dillard and Leonardo Cruz and Adrian Hostin uh, uh, started the dialysis unit. And so when I came back in 73, we together started the dialysis transplant and immunogenetic laboratory because Dr. Georgia May Dunstan had friends at the University of Michigan as well. And so, uh, we, and then we got to uh, work with uh, Senator Edward Brooks, who was actually one of the first African-American uh, uh, se senators. And uh, he uh, actually uh, got our transplant center approved in 1975 to do transplants. We actually did our first transplant in 1974. Uh, uh, so for a couple of years, we did transplants without remuneration. But uh, that's how it all got started. Uh, we all worked together and uh, uh, did our first transplants. And uh, uh, that's, the, that's how it began. You know, uh, for our viewers, many of them are involved in Donate Life activities and um, participate or know about the um, August is National Minority Donor Awareness Month, and they also are familiar with MOTEP. But some of our viewers might not be. Uh, what led you to found the Minority Organ Tissue Transplant Education Program in 1991? Well, what happened is that and when I came back to Howard University, one of the things I recognized was that most of the donors for our black patients were white. Mm -hmm. And we had very few uh, black donors. And so I said that wasn't something that was uh, that we should accept. And, and it was something that I felt that uh, uh, we should do something about. As a matter of fact, in 1978, uh, the Southeastern Northern Procurement Foundation known as CF came to me and pointed out to me the data on the subject that uh, uh, less than 5% of the donors were African-Americans, but 70% of the patients on dialysis were African-Americans. And so something needed to be done about it. One of the problems in those days was that uh, uh, people of color, uh, they, they wanted to help solve problems, but they never wanted to give you any money. And so uh, they came to me and said, yeah, we wanted you to help us, but, but we don't have any funds to help you. So what I did, Dr. James Baton and I, we went to the president of Howard University and asked for $500. And they gave us $500. And with that $500, uh, he being a psychologist, he organized a, a, 
medical student, uh, I'm sorry, psychology students, and myself and he, and we got a team of uh, a nurse uh, uh, and uh, one transplant patient and uh, one patient waiting for transplant. And we then went across the District of Columbia and interviewed some 40 patients and asked, I'm sorry, sorry, 40 DC residents. And uh, we uh, had a focus group with all of them and for uh, parts of two hours for each of these 40. We talked to them about why and asked them, why is it that blacks don't donate? And uh, as a consequence of that, when we started, only two of 40 had signed donor cards. But at the end of the focus sessions, all 40 signed donor cards. Wow. So, this, so this said to us that we had not only identified answer to the question, but we also had found a solution to the problem. So we figured that we would take a group that, just like the group we had for the DC organ donor program, and uh, decided to start that in, with the Howard University and the National Kidney Foundation of DC. We started the DC organ donor program, the first of its kind. Because of our success over the next few years, the Dow Chemical Company uh, supported me going across the United States to some 25 cities to talk about the need for organ donors and people of color. And uh, lo and behold, as a consequence, uh, in the District of Columbia first, uh, the numbers doubled. And then when we uh, went across the country, 25 sites as uh, funded by the Dow Chemical Company, uh, they did a Gallup poll in uh, 1975 and 1980. And by the end of the five-year period, the number of people who were aware of the highly successful nature of transplantation had tripled. Wow. And the number of people who signed donor cards had tripled. We wow. also had a program that went to... Uh, five black colleges, and uh, we were able to make a difference there as well. And this success of these programs locally, regionally, and nationally said to me that uh, even though at the time they said blacks will not donate, that we had done something that they said couldn't be done and blacks were donating. And so we said, if this would work in DC, why not take it across the United States? And we then went to Congressman uh, Lewis Stokes, uh, uh, who, and at this time, Secretary of Health Lewis Sullivan, who then assigned uh, John Ruffin to work with us to, to make this uh, come to pass. And uh, lo and behold, the, the Stokes bill uh, was actually signed into law. And lo and behold, uh, our effort, which began simply with $500, resulted in actually 1995 with a $16 million National Minority Organ Tissue Transplant Education Program uh, that was uh, that we launched across the United States uh, to all ethnic groups, all six ethnic groups, uh, because we had identified with our effort that we found out the five reasons why blacks were reluctant to become donors mm -hmm. and also found the solution. Uh, all it required is us to have a grassroots organization, go into the communities, educate them, and empower them to take the message and make a difference. And this is what OTEP has been all about, mm -hmm. uh, going from uh, awareness to action 
to accountability. And this is something that had not been done before. So it was the first group of its kind, locally, regionally, nationally. And uh, uh, this then was, this was the where's, wins, and why force of why MOTAP. First around in D.C., uh, showing that blacks could donate, then taking it to all of the ethnic groups to indicate. And as a consequence, the long and short of the story is that as a result of that effort, the number of African-American donors tripled, the number of minority donors doubled. So it was kind of a miracle in, in a sense that we did what had thought was not possible of being done and something that uh, actually I started. And uh, so so that's the answer to your question. That's that's what uh, caused me to, to, to found MOTEP. And of course, with MOTEP, uh, what we recognized was that this was something that was a great effort. So why not create National Minority Donor Awareness Day? We created National Minority Donor Awareness Day. It was a success. And the OPOs and others uh, said, let's go make it a week. And then uh, finally, actually, in, uh, uh, I guess, three or four years ago, uh, it was decided by Donate Life and others and National Minority Multicultural Action Group that we should have now National Minority Donor Awareness Month. And so uh, that's what we're now doing uh, with an effort to uh, make all, all minority groups uh, to become aware of the special need. You know, close to 60% of all the people who are waiting for transplants uh, are people of color. Yet, actually, we only represent close to 30% of the population. So because we're disproportionately afflicted and affected with uh, hypertension, diabetes, and obesity, and glomerular nephritis, uh, we therefore bear the brunt of this disease. And uh, as a consequence, uh, uh, this is something that becomes uh, an obligation. This is uh, an obligation that I felt that I had to be an important part of. Yeah, Dr. Collins, that was my next question. You know, with so many patients now, I think it's well over 300,000 that are currently on dialysis, and many of those, like you said, minorities, and many of those patients, you know, with the success of transplantation and, you know, the way it is now with the you know, outcomes so much better than they were in the 70s, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, not only the, the OPOs and the dialysis clinics and MOTEP are trying to, you know, to get to those patients, like, hey, the waiting list is a little bit longer. You may, you know, what challenge would you face today with those patients as well? The greatest challenge is that 17 people still die every single day because of the shortage of donors. So that this is the number one problem in transplantation today. That is why there's been so much interest in, in uh, not only educating and empowering the communities, but also you heard about xenotransplants. Uh, that's mm -hmm. why, because we don't have enough human donors. And it is my my feeling that we never will have enough human donors. And so the need for organs from uh, other uh uh, species, I believe, is going to be something essential. Also, uh, uh, the, the need for growing organs and and uh, uh, for uh, uh, expanding our efforts in genetic engineering will become very important. Uh, so that uh, the number one problem, the shortage of donors, uh, is a major issue. Of course, uh, other issues are the the opportunity to try to reach 
people of all ages and all ethnicities uh, to get them to recognize that uh, uh, donation saves lives. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we have to have a, a renewed emphasis and interest on is trying to increase the number of living donor transplants, because over the last 10 years, the number of living donor transplants has decreased every year. Uh, last year, again, uh, deceased donation rates were up again, but living donation rates were, were not. And so uh, one of the challenges we have is to increase live donors. The other challenge is to uh, get the research in uh, genetic engineering and, and uh, uh, also getting us to the point that uh, we actually go to the elementary schools, the junior high schools, the colleges, the medical schools, high schools, and uh, educate all aspects of the community about the importance of transportation, the importance of uh, becoming an organ and tissue donor. Mm -hmm. Dr. Callender, we've talked about um, the progress in increasing the number of minority donors and then also decreasing the number of persons. Um, who need a transplant. So let's talk about the aspect of um, encouraging healthy living, because I know that's an important part of what MOTEP does. And also the in August during uh, National Minority Donor Awareness Month, uh, we also talk about the importance of healthy living so that we can have fewer people wind up on the waiting list. Thank you, because love yourself, take care of yourself, as of 2000 became our, our most important uh, me message, uh, because the, the biggest problem is the inordinate increase, the incidence of end-stage renal disease in people of color. And so one of the ways to tackle that is to adopt healthy lifestyles. And so this then is uh, one of the most important messages we can give, is that to adopt a healthy life lifestyle, exercise, eat less red meat, eat more vegetables and fruits, uh, Get your blood pressure checked. Uh, take your blood pressure medicines. Because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so this then is uh, probably our most important message. In addition to increasing donation rates, is to get people of color to adopt healthy li lifestyles, uh, to exercise uh, uh, 30 minutes a day, five days a week, uh, uh, to uh, push back from the table to, to uh, recognize that uh, uh, meditation as well as exercise together uh, as, and a healthy diet will actually affect the genes because, you know, people say, hey, I've got a gene pool that's dangerous. Yes, that's possible. That's very true. But you can, uh, what we call by epigenetics, uh, by adopting healthy lifestyles, make a difference so that in spite of your gene pool, you can overcome the, uh, the high incidence of uh, uh, end organ failure. And this then is probably our, our greatest challenge to get people, yes, to donate, but also to adopt healthy lifestyles uh, so they don't get these diseases in the first place, or if they get them, they can be reversed. And I'm sure Dr. Uh, Calvert agreed. Many times with the ESRD, lots of times you don't start noticing symptoms and signs till you're, you know, you've already lost quite a bit of kidney function and sometimes it's too late, you know. So uh, adopting those 
fitness goals and diet and things that can definitely, you know, prolong the disease or maybe even totally reverse it. Uh, Dr. Keller, through your work, how were you able to kind of influence the equitable transplant allocation among minorities? I know that's a big thing. Well, I, I think one of the things that uh, I've always felt is that if people understand that it's in their best interest uh, for them and their families, that they're more likely to say yes to organ donation. They also are more likely to adopt healthy lifestyles if they truly understand uh, the fact that uh, they can make a difference in their own lives and their families' lives if they change their behavior. And so uh, this then is something that we've been doing. We also recognize that uh, there's a role to play for the government and other aspects of of uh, the, the uh, country in terms of recognizing that we haven't done all we can do. Uh, for example, having uh, literature that people can really read and understand and, and really make the right choices becomes important because I, I, I have seen uh, situations where people are asked, uh, do you want a transplant without actually being educated about the difference between uh, staying on dialysis or having a transplant uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and how to's, how do you do it? What are the logistics? How do you, how do you sign up to be an organ donor? How do you sign up to get on dialysis? How do you sign up to get a transplant? Uh, and what are the steps and how do we make them less uh, difficult? And so these then are, are, are what is necessary for so-called equitable allocation of organs for transplant patients, most of whom are people of color. Billy's in the process of working on a project with the dialysis clinic, so he can uh, speak a little bit about uh, what you're talking about. That Unfortunately, Billy, isn't it right that a lot of dialysis patients haven't even been offered that option? If they were, they were probably offered early in the process, and Dr. Callender can attest to this too. You're inundated with so much information those first couple of visits with, you know, diet and phosphorus, potassium, logistics, how to get there. Even if you were told about transplantation, you, you, you probably long forgot about it. So I just finished a project with all of our clinics and DCI clinics to have information on how to get transplanted, living donation, the new parent exchange program. You know, that you may not, your donor may not be compatible, but, you know, there's so lots of avenues out there that many of these patients don't know about. So we're going to try to get that in their hands and educate them. And again, hopefully get some more patients off this, you know, dialysis, you know, lifestyle for, you know, the, the near future. And, and, and culture, you know, having it done in a form that they can actually read and understand literacy, health literacy is one of the biggest problems because it's often... Uh, given to them in a form that they don't really understand. You know, if people knew that uh, uh, if you get a, uh, if you stay on dialysis versus getting a transplant, your likelihood of dying is 10 to 100 times more if you stayed on dialysis. Uh, and so nobody gives them those facts. And so they just stay on dialysis and many of them die. And uh, so that health literacy is one of the biggest problems that we have because as as you said, uh, uh, when people are just asked, do you want a transplant? That's not, that's not enough. You have to speak to them in, in a way that they can understand uh, so they can make an intelligent decision. 
uh, not just say, do you want a transplant, but say, listen, this is, these are the data on, on the situation. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is not done. Uh, I've been involved in transplant for now 50 years and I've, and I've watched how uh, people have been asked, do you want a transplant? And sometimes that's it. Do you want a transplant? And that's not fair. That's not right. And doctor, and many times it doesn't, it doesn't address their fears and maybe concerns they even have of having a transplant. They've maybe heard um, you know, a horror story about how you know, they rejected and it, you know, they were worse off than they were when they started. So just because you ask the question doesn't mean you're addressing their concerns. Right. And, uh, you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues who says that uh, uh, there should be a stronger uh, way of, of rewarding those centers where patients actually are educated about transplantation and uh, disincentives for those centers who don't do it the right way. And that, that has not yet happened. That's something that needs to be done in the future. Now, Dr. Callender, a recent initiative that you've been a part of is a partnership between historically black colleges and universities and organ procurement organizations. Uh, last year, Tennessee Donor Services worked with Meharry Medical College. Tell us about the purpose of this initiative and then some of your observations now that the first group of students have completed the project. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, most people think that uh, in medical school, and in colleges, you get to know about transplantation. Nothing could be further than, from the truth. Uh, and so medical students aren't educated about transplantation any more than anybody else. And so this was a unique opportunity in which uh, Dr. Hildreth and the group from Mary took a, a number of students that you see in this picture and uh, let them go on, 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 uh, on visits with uh, people who actually did transplants, people who met people who uh, who had died and lost loved ones at the time that they made decisions about whether to donate or not. And as a consequence, these uh, seven students uh, actually had their lives dramatically changed. And uh, uh, I, nothing has been as impressive as hearing these students talk about uh, what they learned, as well as the research that they did that demonstrated that uh, very often what all that is necessary is that, is that people who, who have lost loved ones need to be introduced and asked about the uh, given the option to donate, because what happens is that uh, when you lose a loved one, uh, if that person is not allowed to get, leave their organs and tissues uh, after death, they, they miss an opportunity to to give. You know, uh, one of the things that we've learned along the, the, our journey is that it isn't giving that you receive, it's in pardoning that you're pardoned, it's in dying that you're born to eternal life. So that uh, uh, being able to give is a tremendous opportunity. And this needs to be, this needs to be explained clearly so that uh, they can uh, become donors. And this was done in a unique fashion. The first time it was done at Meharry and the students uh, presented their research efforts at uh, our scientific uh, places and uh, uh, everyone was impressed with the fact that this is something that hasn't been done before but needs to be done in the future in as many places as possible. Mm 
Uh, so it's a pioneering effort. That's that's the effort that was done at Meharry. Uh, we're doing something at Howard that's a little different. We're going to the middle schools and educating them because we think it's uh, that people aren't really recognizing that the earlier you go uh, and educate people, the better off. Elementary schools, middle schools, that's the time to do it. Not only do you educate the, the students, you educate the teachers and you educate the families. And this is where the action must start. I've had an opportunity to do that for maybe about the last 20 years, to go into elementary schools, middle schools. And and I, and I, and then I was amazed at how interested the students were and how how they were susceptible and willing to learn uh, if we break it down to the level that they could read and understand. So these are just two of the efforts. Morehouse is doing something of their own. They're meeting with nursing students and medical students as well. And then Charles Drew University is doing as well, doing its, its own thing out in LA so that we've got four historically black colleges. And it is a goal uh, to take these unique programs and have them in all of the historically black colleges and uh, uh, the other colleges that aren't black as well, but we're starting with historically black colleges because uh, minorities are, are the, the most underserved. Well, Dr. Callender, thank you so much for your work within our multicultural populations to promote organ and tissue donation. We appreciate you talking with us. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, uh, that only, was great. Thank you. Only, only manifest the tip of the iceberg, but uh, I welcome the opportunity to do so. Well, we would love to have you back. So take care. Thank you very much. Until next time, I'm Dawn Benjamin. And I'm Billy Jarvis. The Be The Gift Connection is an opportunity to, to share these inspiring stories and provide information that hopefully, if you haven't signed up to be a registered tissue donor, you can. If you haven't signed up, just go to be the gift today.com. And remember, we all have the power to donate life.